This is Japan Baseball Weekly, the only English podcast covering all 12 NPB teams. And now, your hosts, John E. Gibson and Jim Allen. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of November 22nd. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a Sunday night is my buddy, my partner, Jim Allen. How you doing, buddy? I'm well. It's been a, it's been a busy weekend, but I'm good. It's been a busy life. You getting away with just a weekend of busyness? Ha! Ah! <laughs> ah! Well, I'm living kind of in the moment, so I, I forget about the other stuff. Well, that's me also. When I when something's right in front of me, I kind of forget about everything else. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I call those wind-up toys. Yeah, my sister is like that. You just you wind up, and then when it hit a wall, you change direction until you hit the next wall. And then whatever fire we is off. in front of you is the fire we were, you have to put out. I thought we were off the sibling abuse for a while there. Okay, well, you know, oh. it's that's okay. You got to get a little bit. Well, you know, a while, it's it's relative, you know. What is a while to you might not be a while to me, or a short while, a long while. If you're not okay. dealing with numbers, who knows what we're talking about, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. On this week's show, we've got the first two games of the Japan Series to discuss. We've got off-field moves. We've got Seiya Suzuki being posted to the big leagues if the post goes through. And we're going to handle some high heat, so let's start swinging. Clearing the bases! All right, so we've got two games in in the Japan series. It's a 1-1 series at the moment. The Swallows uh, losing a lead in game one and falling 4-3 to in that one. But coming back tonight and posting a 2-0 shutout for the win. Let's start with game one and your impressions. I mean, first of all, it was a 4-3 walk-off victory on a Masataka Yoshida's bank shot <laughs> to center. There were a lot of good things that happened in the game. I was impressed with all these young players who, a lot of whom have <laughs> really don't have any postseason uh, or didn't have any postseason experience going into the Climax Series and have even less Japan Series experience on both sides. So I was impressed with the poise of all the young players. That's the biggest thing that I took away from this particular weekend. What about you? That and the quality of the pitching in in general. I mean, we had a little, mm. we had a we had a burp in game one, in which you know the quality, the the bullpens gave up five combined to give up five runs, but the the starting pitching. If you watched the climax series, and you thought, well, these pitches, these two, the Oryx Buffaloes and Yakult Swallows will play pitch the way they did in the climax series, you'd think, oh, right on, <laughs> because that's what right. we've seen just just outstanding pitching uh, from both teams and defense. I think the I think particularly the the Oryx Buffaloes have played really good defense, but I think the defense on both sides has been pretty good. Well. The Buffaloes have been good. Uh, I thought, I thought they were good. They were they made all the routine plays. I mean, uh, but yeah, Moon. I mean, uh, Yuma Moon missed a ball in game one, but he he's been short hopping everything between here and Kalamazoo. Yeah, and throwing guys. <laughs> I'm gonna out, give so. him a pass. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and. Yeah, and Munetaka Murakami tried to be him, but it wouldn't have mattered because the ball was so poorly hit. So they didn't give him an error on that. We've had a, the, uh, but I thought 
Joe Adachi is... made a really nice play in game one, I think. Uh, yeah, and then his left and, at second base uh, for, the, for the Buffaloes. Yeah, and yeah, well, okay, and Tetsuya Mata has been really yeah. good. Yutaro yeah, Sugimoto think... made a ball that a made a catch that a player of his stature, of his physical stature and speed, probably shouldn't have. Right, so you're you're disagreeing with me. You're just doing it in a very at a slower pace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reason the reason I say that is because mm-hmm. in the two games, the Swallows' defense made these huge clutch plays. That, of course, the ga- game one didn't turn on the clutch plays because the Swallows uh, blew their lead, but they could have they could have been blown out of game one very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, were it not for a catch by Takeshi, uh, Takashi Miyamoto at the wall in, uh, early on that set, that robbed uh, Kenya Wakatsuki of a two-run double. Yeah. and yeah, That was in the second inning of game one, yes. Right. And and then we had, an, we had other plays today where the Buffaloes just were, uh, you know, which kept the Buffaloes from building up the base runners they needed to, to get a run. Yeah, I, uh, I think you're agreeing with me, but yeah, yeah, no, I am, I am. But I, I think it's sort of like the the Buffaloes' defense didn't need to be as sharp as the Swallows did. Okay, I'm and just saying, you know, they so, have Yeah, it, it has been very good in terms of. Uh, again, we've seen the Buffaloes blow games. The Buffaloes that we used to know, uh, okay, for this season blow games not making routine plays or spectacular ones and they're making the plays and they've been doing it since the playoffs started here they've been doing it since before that the season to win the pacific league title and they're doing it here in the japan series and they look good doing it uh, it's good yeah, to see I don't, might, I don't yeah i'd rather see them make plays yeah oh sure sure i think both i think the pitching and defense for both teams has been really really good um, Naomichi Nishiura, the Swallows shortstop, is a guy who really lost his job because of his defense. Mm-hmm. And he made a <laughs> well, really his nice defense play. and his batting yeah. average. Basically, he's a he's a two hundred hitter who yeah, you got to do one or the other. <laughs> yeah, who pop about six or seven? You know, who pop six or seven home runs a year? You know, he's got some pop, but he's a low average hitter who doesn't play great defense. But, yeah, he uh, had some he had some drop with that pop. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, drop the ball. <laughs> well, he's he made some he made some he made a double play in game two that really was huge and well i don't want to i don't want to fault him for getting the ball that took that for missing a ball that took a funky hop in game one uh but uh you know it was it's, it's been really good yeah yeah, yeah okay. overall. so the defense is thought- noteworthy Correct. And I thought, you know, the season long coming out party of Mune, I think it has continued. I thought rookie Yasunobu Okugawa of the Swallows stared down the best pitcher in NPV and held his own in a toe to toe battle in game one. Uh, and I thought that was really a big takeaway from, from that game because uh, I remember years ago, almost maybe a decade ago, we had a question from a listener who basically was willing to sacrifice another pitcher and sacrifice game one because he didn't think his team was going to be able to win game one and but but have him focus on game two and i thought you know you never you don't give games away in the playoffs because nothing's guaranteed 
And so with Okugawa going up against uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto of the Oryx Buffaloes, and I always refer to him as Japan Ace, not just because mm. he pitched Japan to the gold medal in the Olympics, but because he he really is. <laughs> He's going to be the Sawamura Award winner. And like I said, stared him down through pitch to, you know, pitch didn't match him pitch per pitch per se, but he gave up fewer hits, had fewer pitches through the same number of innings late into the game. Uh, had it not been for that, I don't even know what that was, a wayward pitch to uh, Stephen Moya who cracked it for a home run. I think he would have, uh, he would have probably pitched the eighth inning as well. But I think once he gave up the home run, the skipper, Shingo Takatsu decided to just uh, go to the bullpen, which has been reliable all season long as well. So I think that was that particular game. But again, the young guy, you know, rookie making his debut in the Japan series and pitching so well and just fantastic. These young players, I I just can't get over. I'm I'm shaking my head at at the Mm. fact that these guys are throwing so well. Yeah, these, you know what, I, I see these teams, and you know what I think? Best two teams in Japan this year. <laughs> yes. Not that we ever expected to say that when we were chuckling and chortling and snickering about both of these teams when we did our prediction shows. Uh, in fact, the past two seasons, maybe th- maybe even longer. But, yeah, you look now and you think, okay, I really see – why this team is in the Japan series. And on conversely, I really see why the opponent is in the Japan series as well. They're really good. It's It really is making for some compelling baseball. So I also thought Yoshida uh, coming back from this broken hand. And mm. I don't think that we, I don't think that we officially buried him because we left the door open that he might be able to come back. But we were talking about the fact that the Buffaloes had his jersey in the dugout uh, after he broke his hand and looked good and blah, blah. And the the dude has come back and he's hitting line drives everywhere. (laughs) He's the one who won the game. He got the walk-off hit uh, to win game one. Yeah, although if he were an American Indian, he would no doubt be known as the man who hits bullets to shortstop now. (laughs) <laughs> because he's like he yeah. can't this i mean in game one he pretty much couldn't buy a hit he, he was absolutely but i uh you could tell that he is lacking a little game fitness because when he hit that uh hit that ball he thought he had a three-run homer in game one he was he was beginning his home run trot and the ball died on the warning track Oh, really? I, I thought the opposite. I thought he was going slowly because I, I, I thought he knew he got under it a little bit, but the earlier ball had carried to the wall, the one Wakatsuki hit to the wall. So maybe he thought, eh, this might go, but I think he thought, uh, right, because okay. he, yeah, because I, I, I just had a different take on it, but I, I did notice that I he thought was, it was slowly, funny because I thought he thought it was out. One of the, the things that. about game one was that the, uh, the I was watching the Fuji TV broadcast, and Utaro Sugimoto absolutely was, you know, he was pretty much tighter than that Rubik's cube that hasn't been touched in ten years. Nice. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah," it's like going, "Come on, move!" And he was he was just awful. And Masataka Yoshida was just having these tremendous at bats, and here are the 
broadcast crew is going, wow, the Swallows pitching really dominated the best two hitters in the Oryx lineup. I'm going, hold on there a second. Wait a second, <laughs> minute. Wait a second, Skippy. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, there's, you know, that's a conf- uh, conflation or a, a misappropriation of results for actual, for what actually happens. Yeah. So, just cause they got outs doesn't mean they got them out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so it, it has been that game though. I mean, we've seen, um, a couple of the guys, Yutaro Sugimoto was, was really, really tight in game one. And you know, uh, Ichi Adachi was really tight in game one. In fact, what I've we've had some great comments from this series so far after game one, uh, Satoshi Nakajima, who usually has a couple of little, little uh, tongue in cheek quips, you know, the, in the post game managers interview, they said, well, you, you came into the post season saying we want to play every game like a regular season game. And with that same attitude and that same, Looseness. And relaxed, yeah. Yeah. And he says, how does that go? And he says, really badly. <laughs> and he says, our, our players are as stiff as a board. <laughs> yep, pretty much. We were a little tight there, so we'll see how that goes. But they were not they were not loose. So yeah. I love him for that. Um, and, you know, we're getting these self-deprecating, we're getting these honest, well, kind of honest, but self-deprecating comments that were uh, really useful uh, today. Shingo Takatsu said, uh, uh, you know, oh, you guys, you got your veteran players, you know, Nori Chikaoki got the big hit. And he said, he says, well, you know, your lineup was, was able to function there. And he says, uh, well, the balls we hit really weren't good at all. <laughs> but we... <laughs> But we had a strong will, and we willed. I think that was the difference. We willed the hits, and I'm going yeah. like, this is. Well, I would prefer to say we, you know, they hung in there and they kept trying to make contact, and they got away with it eventually. You know, they got enough contact to get to scratch out a couple of hits, but uh, you know, that's Takatsu. You know, he says he's a little old school and a little new school. You know, a little bit of that new school honesty. We didn't play that well. We didn't hit that well. But uh, the old school is all their players are good. And we we had the greater willpower. That was the reason today's game. I don't think the Swallows won because they had greater willpower. They certainly didn't have the best pitching. Uh, they did in game one is interesting because you talked about Yasunobu Okugawa staring down. Well, he certainly did he didn't buckle under the pressure and he mm-hmm. he did get the big plays behind him so he was uh he was much more i think on edge than yamamoto was and yamamoto was not the yamamoto we're used to seeing because he his pitches were not moving the way they normally do uh his mm-hmm. stuff was not that good uh it was it la- you know he still throws hard but his command was a little off and he was falling behind in counts. And then the, when he did go in the zone, the Swallows were able to foul off so many pitches that, you know, pitches that guys usually swing and miss at or take mm-hmm. because they think there's no chance in hell I'm going to hit this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they ran up his pitch count really early. And that was pretty much, that was a huge part of the game. And the Swallows, you know, the grinding, gritty at-bats that they had uh, all season was really a key to that game, as well as, you know, the big 
play against the outfield fence that saved a two, you know, saved a two run double in a scoreless game. So yeah, that ball that just kept carrying and carrying, but, um, yeah, I saw comments on Twitter, and I mm-hmm. obviously you hear people talking about how the Swallows blew the game in the ninth inning, and you know I I really just didn't see it that way. I thought they didn't score. You know, obviously you're not going to score a lot of runs against Yamamoto, even mm-hmm. if he's on an off night, and they generated a little bit of offense. Uh, again, one of the young players, uh, Munetaka Murakami, gets the two run home run in the eighth inning, puts him up three to one. But that's that's you know, two run lead, even in the ninth inning with your closer on the mound and a closer who really a lot of times, especially early in the season, walked a tight rope. He had a lot of he had a high whip. Let's put it that way. There were a lot of there was a lot of traffic on the bases. Now, he seemed to rectify that in the second half, especially down the stretch. And mm-hmm. he was much better. But we're going up against better competition here in the Japan series. I, yep. I think I talked about on Twitter tonight that the, the, just the concentration level is really high. And he made some good pitches, but he made a couple bad ones. And they didn't get an out at third base when they were when the Buffaloes were bunting and they tried to get the out at third base. And that was just that was kind of a little panic defense. So I know I, I know when I made that comment about the defense, I, I wasn't saying that all the defense has been fantastic mm-hmm. and superb. It's just that it has been pretty good and that was a, a another case where it was a catchable ball i think when it uh, munakami could have stayed on third base i think we had a little bit of panic feet or happy feet as like they like to call quarterbacks in the pocket sometimes and he ends up taking his foot off the bag when he didn't need to because they did have that out but nonetheless they didn't pitch well enough to get that but i, I always feel like a even a two-run lead in the ninth inning with two outs and no runners on base, you're still a walk and a home run away from being tied. And that's essentially the way, if you think about it that way, it just happened to be they didn't get that out there at third uh, and had the bases loaded and no one out and then a two-run single and then the single to end the game. But it could have been, they, they could have gotten out at, at second, still gave up that single and then uh, maybe that ball is caught by Yoshida because they're not playing in. But yeah. yeah, I thought... Uh... Basically, he made a um, Scott McGuff made a very good pitch to Mune. Mune, yeah, it was not a bad pitch. Again, I, I don't know, and he just put. You said that just, in the past about pitches that are right down the middle. I I just do think that those are the easiest ones to hit, and I don't care how low they are unless you bounce them. They're hitable. Well, this was below and out of the zone, and he had and he hit it off the end of the barrel, and he did a really good job. I mean, I'm going to give credit to him for getting that much uh, energy on the ball. I always give credit to him. It's so hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is hard, and he hit a he hit a pretty good pitch, and uh, he put enough on it to to make that thing sail when it hit the mound, because otherwise. Nishira is gonna. T- he wasn't gonna turn two because of how um, how close in he was playing. He was pl- they were playing a double play depth. If he was a step back, he might have had a chance to for a double play. But they could have gotten out there, and then he he really missed the ball to Yoshida. And had the had the had the outfield been playing at normal depth, then that's an out. He would have taken about. Th- three steps back and he would have had it. I mean, it was a, okay. that, that puppy was, that puppy was smoked, but yeah, it was, <laughs> but you know, it was smoked so that he had no chance to get it because he was, you know, he was playing deep shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so there was that, but I I can't fault you know these guys, and you know the thing about Scott McGuff is not that he occasionally makes bad pitches, but that the big thing about closers is a you got good stuff, and b you don't you don't dwell on it. And I think he does mm-hmm. it really well. So I mean, I've seen him have um, have really bad games, and then come back and look like the ideal the ideal version of himself on the mound like the next day right I, we and weren't going to see we weren't going to see that in game 2 because both he and, and Noboru Shimizu who was not, also not good and was lucky not to give the game away in the 8th inning yes uh, extremely lucky both those guys threw like you know 25 26 27 pitches so we yeah, probably McGuff weren't through 21 see. and she okay. through 32 oh pitches. that's right McGuff only threw 21 because the 21st ended the game right? yeah with no outs so. <laughs> it seemed like he threw more than 21 i, I thought he was seems in the 30s like as it. well seems yeah. like it but first pitch bunts help you know those things so uh right so they weren't going to come out although i'll be honest i i was expecting to see uh Tai Chi Shiyama come out yeah. in the ninth. But because uh, he's been pitching very well uh, for a while. And, yeah. But, no. But, yeah. No. No. <laughs> no I, I, just, I would have. I, I, with two runs, I would have. I wouldn't have had any. I wouldn't have had any hesitation. And this is. Um, are you talking about uh, for game two? Or are you, you were for game two? Game? For game two. Oh, I see. Not game one. Game one, you bring out the guys you trust the most, and then game two, because they're gassed a little bit, you bring out sure. your. You know, I wouldn't have had any hesitation to go with, you know, Albert Suarez and and Taichi Shiyama in that game. Yeah, but, Suarez. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm not a Swallows fan like you are, and like uh, you're some of the Swallows fans uh, who listen to the show. But I. <laughs> I think I even have a little bit of trauma associated with Ishiyama on the mound, so I, I just I, I can't I can't get over that. I can't see that in a okay. Japan series game unless they're uh, thinking that they they need a bridge to not, not in a save situation, just a bridge to a, another reliever. So maybe sixth inning and a couple outs somewhere, and definitely at a Central League park. So that would be at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, side of things when there's games three through five when they have the they don't have the dh and they just need a guy to come in and get a get them out of a jam or something like that oh, yeah otherwise <laughs> otherwise pretty uh good i think i'm gonna ri- i'm writing in my you know i'm sort of writing up my blog now and it basically occurred to me the game too was really the the game where you know you can be the best pitcher and you know the game isn't you know the games aren't won by having the the guy who pitches the best. Cause I thought Miyagi pitched was, was really, really good. I mean, he was really good. He was uh, quite a bit better. I thought than Takahashi and he was on his game. Like he has really hasn't been since about June. Well, with, I, I had one more comment about game one, but oh, go we ahead. Go to game two, but and that's that I, I didn't like the way, uh, Shimizu threw, and I didn't like the way McGuff threw, and it was basically because this late, the, you know, the back end of the bullpen here struggled so much, and that it didn't bode well for the rest of the series. I, I think if you go out in the first game, you struggle, 
you're forced to make adjustments and the other team doesn't have to adjust. You know, the opponent doesn't have to adjust to you. So you have to start out right away making adjustments in game one. And if you're a reliever, you, it's possible you could throw six times in the, the series uh, if it goes the distance or, or beyond the distance, whatever that is. <laughs> so I, I didn't like that. But uh, I, I do think because of what I've seen and what I've witnessed as we've gone through the postseason here with the Swallows that they do have a good enough bullpen that they they have other options. Now, Ishiyama might have to be one of those options at some point, but I, I, do, I, I did have some concerns after game one. And uh, as we start to talk to, about game two, obviously when you get your, your pitcher to get a shutout in a game uh, of this magnitude, a Japan Series game, and a guy who had never pitched into the what would they say he had never pitched in the ninth inning at all in his career and here he is so we've seen what was this like the fourth first a guy pitching uh for the first time in the postseason throwing a shutout or throwing not the fourth time but uh, at least the third time because i think yamamoto did it right yes um and then, and, uh, and okugawa did it in okugawa the, uh, did it in the climax series climax series yeah. So now we've got another one. So this is just outstanding. These guys finding a way to perform their best in their first appearance like this. But going on to game two now, uh, like I said before, two nothing shutout for the Swallows. Uh, Takashi throwing. How many pitches did he throw? I forgot. I, I remember when he got to 119, they said this is his career high in pitches thrown. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Well, when are we going to get him out? He threw 133 pitches tonight. So, uh, <laughs> and was very, you know, after the marathon, he's like the marathon runner who keeps jogging around to, to warm down. I mean, he just did not look tired. Uh, I don't think no. I even saw him glistening. He wasn't sweating. It's, it must have been the perfect temperature and kills at a dome. But so he helps end this 13 game skid that the Central League had in Japan Series games. He brought that to an end. The last time the Central League had won a game in the Japan Series was the Carp Game 2 in 2018. And uh, this is a guy, Takahashi, we talked before we went on Mike. I, I really not really liked uh, what he has to offer as a pitcher. I didn't really see a very high ceiling. I certainly didn't see this. And I really think he pitched way – I mean, you said the pitching has been good. I think it's been way beyond – these managers' wildest imaginations Ooh. in terms of what yeah. they thought they could now, get out Takahashi's, of Takahashi's impressed me pretty much all year. I mean, some, mm -hmm. what he doesn't have is he do, doesn't have great command. I mean, he doesn't have a command of his secondary pitches. Mm -hmm. um, his, his real thing is that 147 kilometers per hour fastball that has some real jump to it. He's got a tremendous, puts a tremendous about amount of active spin on that thing, and it's really hard for batters to stay on it. Now he throws a changeup, and the changeup's effective because of the fastball. But mm -hmm. the command is not that great. He misses it a lot. And his slider is also kind of poor, and his curveball is also kind of poor. But uh, basically... He's going to come at what he does is he has the fastball and he's not afraid to go into the zone with all his pitches. Uh, he might not miss, he might not hit the zone. But what you mm -hmm. saw 
in game two was him, even when he was uh, falling behind in counts, it wasn't because uh, he was missing badly. I thought it was more because the umpire was had a fairly small zone tonight, and uh, the pitchers adjust to, adjusted to that as, as best they could, and they tried mm-hmm. to to get guys to expand, but he, yeah, his, his secondary pitch command is not great, but he's very aggressive. And, uh, his catcher, Yuhei Nakamura absolutely loves that fastball. And when it's normal and he can locate it, and he locates it pretty well. And that thing is up or down or wherever it's really hard. And then, you know, he gets people, he establishes the fastball and then it's, you know, it's prototypical pitching, you know, establish the fastball and then make people chase the other stuff and throw, throw the first strike in the zone when nobody knows what's coming, but he's a, yeah, the fastball is dynamite. uh, It's not, it's not really fast, but it's dynamite. Yeah. He, uh, started out the game. I didn't think he was going to be long for this game because the first batter he faced, in the bottom of the first, Shuhei Fukuda sent a screamer, sort of uh, a liner, yeah. right back through the box, and Takahashi had to <laughs> had to duck and and stab at it to uh, to catch it, which he did. He did catch it for the out, but uh, I, I thought, oh boy, <laughs> that is not the way you want to start the game. Get a wake up call like that uh, with a line drive right back at you, but. Um, that was about the hardest hit ball they had all night. I mean, um, they did have a, six hits, and they hit some other balls the other way. But uh, I thought, yeah, that one, that one did. I didn't think after that, I didn't think he was going to be around. And then uh, I did see someone tweeting about maybe did they had the Swallows lost faith in McGuff after that first game? And I thought, well, you, no, I, I think we have to give credit to Takashi because I, like I said, I was saying that I didn't like him. He was a max effort guy. It seemed like he was throwing max effort on every pitch. And that's probably one of the reasons he never re- even worried about pitching a, a, a complete game or a shutout. And I think he said it in the hero interview tonight. He said, well, I, I just assumed I was going to be out of the game before Miyagi at some point, but, uh, but I wanted to make sure I kept the uh, Buffaloes off the board. And that seems, <laughs> again, a guy who had never pitched in the ninth inning before. Um, but the Swallows got that offense late. They got uh, Norichika Aoki, the 39-year-old, one of the few players with, uh, I guess, a little bit of experience in the postseason. But he had this fluttering mm-hmm. volley out to shallow right field. And that's what I think that... Takatsu was talking about the will because that was a pitch that he probably shouldn't have been swinging at. He didn't really hit it the way he wanted to hit it, but yep. he got it to drop in, and I think that was a the matter of will that uh, Takatsu he was willed it off about. the willed it off the handle of the bat pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was just like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I thought I just loved uh, I love this game from from the standpoint of that Takahashi and Miyagi, you know, the contrast, they're very, in, in many ways, um, Miyagi is a similar pitcher. I mean, although, although he's, he comes down sidearm more, uh, than, mm-hmm. and he's than a, a, little bit of a softer, does. a softer tosser. Yeah. yeah. Although his velocity was good today. His velocity was better than it's been, um, for a few months. Well, he had a month off. He finally, yeah, finally yeah. got him some rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's, uh, he's basically a 
he has his fastball doesn't quite have the hop that Takahashi's has, which is what you kind of expect when the guy has a lower arm slot. But his thing is that he can throw all his pitches. He can get you out with all his pitches in the zone, and he can locate them better. He's his control is you know he's he's pretty much an A minus control pitcher. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and but in terms of what they try to do, they're both guys who are going to pound the zone and try not to walk anybody and basically uh, try to get ahead of the count, and make you hit, you know, and and throw, make you hit whatever they're going to throw at you. Yeah, I spent most of the game uh, listening to the radio, and uh, the color commentator was Akinobu Okada, the former Hanshin Tigers and Buffalo's <laughs> Man- manager. And Buffalo's manager. And he's kind of a mumbler, but he's mostly yep. a whiner. <laughs> he's like, you know, I don't know why they're doing this. And boy, they should really be doing that. And so at one point he says, you know, they're really not timing up Miyagi very well at all. Mm. And I had the impression early on in the game after three innings and, they, you know, they didn't have any hits. The, the Swallows didn't. And I kept thinking, oh, boy, um, no hitter, no hitter. We got to throw it out there. Somebody has to say it on Twitter so we can get this thing <laughs> out of here. But, you know, jinx and all that stuff. So anyway, um, uh, I, I was thinking, you know, th- it seems the first two games the Swallows have been either sitting on fastballs, looking for fastballs, or waiting for fastballs. And they're missing a bunch of off-speed pitches or swinging through them or uh Okada was talking about the timing. I'm like, well, of course their timing's off. They're they're still thinking that they're facing a team from the Pacific League that throws hard because they've heard about how hard the throw the Pacific League throws, and I guess they're assuming they're going to get a lot of fastballs or something like that. Look like the you know Yamamoto threw a lot of breaking balls to him the night before. Miyagi's really not a fastball pitcher, but it just seemed like that they were looking for fastballs or waiting for him or whatever. And they were just off. And I, I think they need to make that adjustment if, uh, depending on who's coming uh, in the rotation. But uh, I think they need to make that adjustment because I don't, I, I think there's an intention with the lack of fastballs that they're seeing. Mm, could be. I think, uh, well, I wasn't all that impressed with a lot of Yamamoto's fastballs. I think the reason he was not throwing his fastballs because it wasn't all that good yesterday. Hmm. But uh, no, but that was the fastball. That is the fastball you get from, you know, actually that was his good fastball. I mean, during the summer, everything he threw was really straight. Uh, So that was his problem. His velocity was also down. He was, he was pretty much 145 today during the the middle of the summer. He was pretty much topping out around 140. Miyagi? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah that that could be that could be a a thing is that oh they're pacific league pitchers i don't know maybe but they were they you know it's also common when you see guys who have lots of different pitches and they mm-hmm. don't have any hesitance they're not there's no hesitation about throwing any of them in the middle of the zone that you really don't know what's coming you really don't have a clue and it's it just makes it a little harder. I thought that you know that's what I that's this is very often you see especially a pitcher when they start going to their secondary pitches and they're locating 
in the third, fourth inning, you see guys going up there looking absolutely clueless. We saw a lot of really clueless at bats from the Swallows tonight. <laughs> I mean, the like the the Jose Osuna, the uh, Jose Osuna at bat when he flied out on the first pitch and this big. Uh, you do that, pitchers who do that who get ahead in counts, they can miss a lot in the zone. You know, they can throw a lot of really bad pitches and get away with it. And that was Miyagi. He threw, both of these guys threw a lot of bad pitches in the zone, but the Swallows really basically missed most of them. And the Buffaloes, you know, they, uh, some of the mistakes that got hit, they got caught. Yep, yep. All right, exciting series. Uh, like I yep. said, 1-1 going to Tokyo Dome, not Jingu. Um, and I'm going to just really keep an eye out on how the Pacific League pitchers hit because they seem to rake against the Central League and Inner League all the time, mm. and they seem to do okay in the Japan series as well. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on that as well as oh. how the uh, pitching changes are, are adjusted in, in the Central League Park. I don't. I'm not a big. Uh, yeah, pitchers don't hit generally. I'm not really worried one way or the other. I think it's just it's sort of a it's almost a cipher. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Central League pitchers hit. I don't think the Pacific League pitchers hit. Uh, I'm usually more interested by in these in these games. I'm more interested by how the Central League teams choose their DHs. DH, yeah. I was yeah. chatting with this uh, about this with Jason Costgrave because they often have the option, you know, they have the option of going for more offense or more defense unless they're Senichi Hoshino in 1999 and he uses a utility infielder as his DH, <laughs> which I still don't get. But yeah, Gino, yeah, uh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You you see that sometimes. I mean, remember the, the San Francisco Giants in when they were playing the Angels in the World Series, and their DH was Sean Dunstan. I'm going. This guy doesn't hasn't hit in like five years. But he could. So, <laughs> he <yeah>. might. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's one of the things these teams with who aren't used to using the DH sometimes really do dumb things. So the Swallows' choice was to put Domingo Santana in. Uh, as the DH, which they had done in interleague, and that saved their bacon because then they had uh, Takashi Miyamoto running into the outfield wall and catching balls that Santana wouldn't have. Mm, true, true. Mm. So, but any other option of uh, the 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 offense option would have been to have uh, Shingo Kawabata start out as the DH and then bring in you know spell him with Seichi Uchikawa. But uh, they decided to go for the defense, and that worked out well. We lost the game, but it worked out well. Okay. Okay. All right. Making a four-seam transition, we've got movers and shakers. Now, look, there's a lot of things going on here in the offseason. I think we, Jim and I, talked about it before. We're going to try to do something maybe with the MVP podcast when we do that one uh, once the season is about done. Um, <laughs> oh, we hope it's done. Um, but besides the big bozo, uh, or otherwise known as a big boss, and may God have mercy on the souls of the fighters and their fans and the players, uh, <laughs> we can't really talk about every club decision and all the uh, the free agents and the player moves and the coaching uh, 
reshuffles and all those things. But uh, there were a few that caught my eye, and I'll start and uh, let me know what caught your eye. I think there were two stunning moves for me so far, and that was the fighters announcing the a few players are mainstays the past few years, but they won't be offered deals, and the list included. It was kind of an attention grabber. It included uh, Haruki Nishikawa and then Taishi Ota. Uh, and that really caught my eye because those guys mm. might be able to find some part-time gigs for some teams, especially maybe some Central League teams. Uh, I think those players are still useful. And obviously the, the fighters are going to rebuild. They're going to be doing – in fact, I think I did see the big bozo, uh, and that's what I'm going to call him until he proves otherwise. But he was – I don't know how many of you live in Japan or watch on, enough of the news uh, on YouTube, but – I guess I have to say his name, right? Tsuyoshi Shinjo, the new fighter's manager, was seen uh, pinching a little bit of uh, the waistline of Kotaro Kiyomiya uh, in a practice here in the, in the fall, in a fall practice. And uh, they talked about the conversation that the two men had. And Shinjo said, well, I asked him, you know, aren't you a little overweight? And Kiyomiya's response apparently was, yeah, well, I, I'm afraid that if I lose weight, I won't be able to drive the ball. And Shinjo's response to that was, you're not driving the ball now because <laughs> you're not making contact. So I think he wants him to get into a little bit better shape. So there might, like I said before, the, the aspects of, of Shinjo knowing baseball and being able to maybe not run a team, but be a person who's a functional in terms of, of helping and assisting and coaching and teaching, I think he can do those things. It's the other things that are probably going to drive me nuts, but I, I think he knows enough about baseball and enough about people and enough about players to be uh, very productive in that aspect. Um, anything catch your eye so far? Well, I, I think the thing, well, I wrote about this at some length. I think the thing that Shinjo can do is get out of the player's way <laughs> because it's very much, uh, you know, I think one of the, the good things, one of the problems that a lot of managers have is basically, oh, you should do things this way and you should do things that way. And uh, you should, you know, the coaches, I want the coaches to teach this and teach that. And we're going to do this and that. And Shinjo's approach, at least the, it opens the door. Shinjo's approach in, in one respect is a, is a little bit like Hiromitsu Ochiai's. Mm-hmm. In that it's you're the player, it's your job to be better. You know it's what to your do, you job know how to, to get ready to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's your job to figure out how you can be a better player. I mean, he said this. This was, um, I parsed his press conference and I was thinking, oh, you know, there were some things that were actually interesting. It wasn't just buffoonery. The buffoonery, interestingly enough, and this is a slight digression, carried over to the Shohei Otani press conference. When Stomo Iwamoto, who was at the Shinjo press conference and fawning over Shinjo, he imitated the guy who asked the reporters at Shinjo's press conference to give him, to applaud him. And at Otani's press conference, Iwamoto decided, I'll be that guy. I'll be that clown. (laughs) Because you know he he has a cl- you know he has a clown suit you know he has a, a clown show basically he has a baseball right. analyst side and he's got a clown show at the same time, and he said, "You reporters, you should applaud Shohei Otani." 
and I'm just I'm just gasping. I'm going, God, put the take off the clown nose, take off the clown. Anyway, so so the Shinjo thing is, yeah, I think he has the possibility of basically there are players, uh, there are players like Ichiro Suzuki, and there are players like uh, Shohei Otani who want to do things differently, and sometimes the best thing is to let them figure it out and give them help as they need it rather than telling them what they should be and, okay. and, and turning in, them into lesser versions of themselves. Okay. Okay. All right. And another thing that had caught my eye, obviously the Giants signing Tatsunori Hara to a three-year contract extension. And I was just shaking my head because I was confused about it. I was wondering... What's the direction of the team? Why did Shinosuke Abe come up at the end of the season slash into the postseason to be on the bench from the farm? He was the farm manager. Why is he up on the bench as a quote-unquote uh, advisor? Tactical coach. Or, you know, tactical coach, yeah. So it was just uh, just a lot of strange stuff going on, and so that just added to it. And so I, I, I ventured down to the ninth floor to talk to some of the guys at the sports department and I mm. asked them what is going on in Giants land? Why would they do this? And you look at this team, it just lost. And there's not, there's not one player. I mean, that you can build around. You can say, okay, this is a player we have for the future. This can be a core player. Let's, let's build around him. Sakamoto, Hayato Sakamoto, the shortstop is, is up there in age. Uh, Tomoyuki Sagano is up there in age. These guys are on the way down in terms of their bodies are starting to show the effects of playing a lot of baseball. Who do you build around and who is the next guy? And we couldn't really come up with one. Um, maybe Seiya Matsubara, but he's, he's I mean, not going to be the next Ichiro Suzuki, doesn't look like. So Who's that guy? And there, there are no core players. The, the pitching staff needs attention. The roster needs work. <laughs> this could be a last place team. I mean, there's not enough money that they could throw at enough players to come over to help them in terms of uh, foreign help or whatever, uh, free agent, domestic free agency included, to, to make this a better roster right away. So um, I, I had huge concerns, but they're going to bring back the manager who didn't, I, I don't know. You talked about the fact that he just likes to dabble and tinker and do all these other things, but what have we seen recently in terms of him building? So I, I was just confused again by this, by this move. Well, I think uh, Hara held a gun to their heads. Hashtag <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean that, I don't mean that literally. I mean, that well, of course not. Guns are illegal. In right. By, I'm, when sure, he said, I'm sure he doesn't have one. <laughs> All the money. He well, <laughs> he does play for the Giants, and he has been a manager there, so I'm sure he knows someone could get one. But yeah, and his gamble, his gamble addicted players didn't get in worse trouble by uh, gang members, if, if you want to throw that out there, when they were caught red-handed gambling. So yeah, he's got some pull and some power and some uh, some backup. But go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, when he. He leaked about a week before the end of the season that mm -hmm. he would he would be amenable to accepting an extension, <laughs> which means he's basically telling the world that I want to be here. And so if I leave, it's not my choice. They're firing my butt. <laughs> 
Mm. And so basically he had to, the Giants, he basically, I think the Giants wanted him just to leave. But now, <laughs> like he had in the past, he quit twice. Okay, that's mm -hmm. what I think the Giants wanted. But as soon as it, he made it a sort of a, a publicity thing, oh, you've got to fire him. Giants went, let's probably bite the bullet on this and keep him because we know he's, you know, he's not the he's not the least, com you know, he's he's a fairly competent manager as they go. He does weird stuff, but he's still fairly competent. And he has one seven, you know, Central League pennants. So. Yeah, yeah. So Definitely. let's do that. Rather than get the guy we want, will it'll be it, it? It was a PR decision. Let's For get three the years. Yeah, I know, but because that was what they do. You know, they That's couldn't they give him one year. They couldn't give him one year like they did Shinjo. That would have been an insult. So, so that was I think that was the thing. Hara, I don't think they wanted to keep him, but they decided. It was best for everybody just to play nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't mention guys to build around Kazuma Okamoto because I think he's a heck of a player. Oh, I think he's good. I, I and but I've mentioned in the past that I, I just don't see him with a long career with that body type. So what are we talking? Mm. Five, six more years? I guess that's a player to build around. Sure. But that's to me, five, six years is kind of short termy, um, and. You know, he was already hurt this postseason. I, I don't see that improving over time. As a, sure as a guy who has, has his share of injuries, I know that they don't always get better and clear up. They just get managed. <laughs> well, I'm sure if we had Warren Cromartie on here, he would tell us exactly what's wrong with the Giants. <laughs> in fact, in fact <laughs> we I, wouldn't I, have enough I got time. My I got my phone on right now, and he isn't calling and asking, telling us what's wrong with the Giants. So I think we're safe <laughs> for a few minutes. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, right. He's welcome other, to come on. So there's that, and there's uh, I guess Kazuhisa She will be back, which is kind of interesting because he's their the Rockton Eagles general manager. That's his ostensibly his primary job. His day job. Hired, <laughs> his day job, right? And then they they moved him over to be manager also manager because they couldn't find a man. They couldn't settle on a manager. So his night gig. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, I'm puzzled by this because this means that they've had a year basically to look for a manager who is their choice. And they decided, no, we'd rather have them two, two different, you know, two different jobs. So, okay. I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. This is all, this is um, puzzling on, on the level of the giants. Well, I think Ishii, the general manager, was quite quite satisfied with the the job that Ishii, the field manager, did. So I think he although I suspect that wasn't his choice, yeah. But in every <laughs> in every case, he just wanted to give it, himself a raise, <laughs> right? Usually, usually when these, you know, the Hara's signing and Ishii's extension, Hara's extension, Ishii's extension as manager come around, the first thing you hear are excuses. Oh, this guy was hurt, and that guy was hurt, and this guy missed this, and that guy missed that. So it's not the fault that we're keeping a guy who we don't really want, mm -hmm. but he's actually he's actually much better than we thought he was. <laughs> 
Of course, the GM is making that decision, though, right? <laughs> or he's making that evaluation. Usually, hey, this guy's really good. Usually, <laughs> that at the at the manager level, it's usually the owner or the team president up in that area. I, I, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, making a seamless transition. Say a Suzuki of, uh, will be posted. The official announcement was made that he's going to be posted, but he hasn't been officially posted yet, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we're waiting for that. Uh, in the meantime, I did a search on Seiya Suzuki, so I Googled. And uh, the teams that I've heard are, have some interest include the Mariners, the Rangers, the Pirates, the Braves, the Dodgers. I think they, they might be parting ways or they're going to not pay Chris Taylor a pound of flesh uh, for his huge contribution. So they might need a, an outfielder. I, I look at Giants. Suzuki, though. Uh, the Giants, yeah, I didn't actually see the Giants, but I, I saw someone write the Giants. Yeah, I yeah. saw someone. I saw an article. But that's the general manager's entitled. meeting stuff, where they yeah, they I, basically all go, "Oh, what a great player!" Well, I saw a, a, an article entitled "Why the Giants Should Bring In." Ah, uh, well, Faranzadi at the general manager's meeting would said, "Yeah, we're we're definitely open to him." So okay, open to him. Okay, so um, you know, I I, I look at. Suzuki as a as a strictly an outfielder, not someone they're going to try to move to first base or something like that. I think he's a two hundred feet from the plate player. Uh, I did ask a couple of people about him. One was a someone who's m- affiliated with Major League Baseball, and he said uh, because uh, of the two way element that Suzuki has, he's he can hit and he can play defense. Uh, this person said I like him quite a bit. Uh, have since his rookie year, uh, and I think that he's a, a, a number three to number six bat who will be a regular on a good club. He has good plate discipline, better as he has matured in NPB. Then I talked to an evaluator, and he said, well, based on the numbers that Suzuki has put up, he seems like a legitimate damage bat uh, who can play for uh, play every day for a contender. So this is really high praise. I'm just concerned that Suzuki is getting really this reputation as this big slugger, especially since he had, you know, the 38, 39 home runs this season, career high. He has always had a really good batting average, it seems, since he became a prominent player, at least. Uh, So we know he can bat for average. But I'm just concerned that people are going to say, well, you know, they're going to put him in the outfield. And after, you know, 20, 30 games, hey, he's not hitting like he's not hitting home runs like we thought he would. And um, I think there's a lot of nuance to his game and that he, you know, Park is going to have be a factor sometimes. The pitching is going to be a factor sometimes. But this evaluator I spoke with said, well, you know, he's facing pretty good velocity over there. And the velocity combined with the good control in Japan um, can make up for a guy who faces faster velocity in the States, but the control's not as good. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and how he plays. Uh, what have you heard? A lot. Besides the Giants. <laughs> A lot. Uh, I won't repeat the, some of the similar opinions I heard. I know that uh, he, a lot of the major league, he's a very atypical. I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up. He's a very atypical Japanese player because uh, he's a, he has a major league approach mm-hmm. at the plate. Uh, he keeps his weight uh, much more balanced. Typical 
the expression I heard used was uh, most Japanese hitters, even a lot of Japanese power hitters, even uh, Yuki Nagita has probably got more raw power, who has more raw power than anybody in Japan right now, more, uh-huh. uh, is uh, often a front foot hitter. That means they go, their body is basically out in front of the ball and they're dragging the bat through the zone very often to go the opposite we uh opposite field this is typical of a left-handed slap hitter who's trying mm. to hit the ball to the left side of the infield on the ground right. but pretty much every japanese hitter has a little bit of this uh shohei otani's done a good job to sort of erase that from his repertoire and suzuki doesn't really have it at all he's mm-hmm. a much more uh swing and miss power uh type that and MLB teams like guys who fit their profile fit the profile of looking like other major league hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he'll be susceptible to some of the, you know, some of the, the uh, he won't be as difficult to adjust to the speed because of his batting approach, but he will be have difficulty adjusting to the speed because there's, you know, there is speed in Japan, but, in Japan, you're facing five teams. You know who the guys who are going to throw 100 miles an hour are because you've faced them 20 times this year. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., he's going to be facing guys he's never seen who are throwing 100 miles an hour every other game. Right. So that's different. You know, you he's going to have to go through the adjustment with the timing the way every hitter has. Okay, so that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is the defense, which is fine. Uh, another thing is the plate discipline. He's an incredibly disciplined player. Mm. And he proved in Japan this year, uh, actually this is my own research, he proved it to me in Japan this year that pitchers could make major adjustments to him uh, as a hitter. This year he pretty much never saw anything up in the zone. Everything was down, 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 down. And he developed a new power zone. <laughs> and he, <laughs> which was low and in and all these guys come and coming in and low, it was bingo. And because of his, his excellent plate discipline, nobody, pretty much nobody in Japan was trying to It's hard to say also because he's a centrally hitter. So pretty much the centrally pitching philosophy is never throw a first pitch in the zone if you have to. So okay. he pretty much, he ve- saw very, very few first pitches in the zone and because he doesn't chase too much when he's, especially when he's head and head in the count, he ended up getting a huge number of pitches right down the pipe when pitchers got behind in the count and they had to throw strikes. And he has learned to uh, put, you know, to get barrels, to get uh, hit the ball really hard with a proper launch angle. And so those two things, his improved batting technique and his, uh, plate discipline uh, and ability to adjust really were, in my opinion, the keys to his season. And I think they bode well for him. And the other thing that bodes well for him compared to other Japanese hitters, in addition to him, his uh, approach and his stance is just how much of a self-starter he is. Now, I mentioned with the Shinjo comment that coach Japanese coaches have a role in Japan of telling the players what to do. Mm-hmm. Teams tell the players how to train. They tell them how to eat. They tell them how to do everything. This is right. how we're going to train. And 
Suzuki is one of these guys, and he cre- he credited his high school coach with basically teaching him to figure things out on his own. So he's been figuring things out on his own really from from day one. He mm-hmm. has developed his own individual fitness and weight training uh, regime uh, regimens over the years. He sought out help of experts. He seeks out everybody's advice and listens to it and lets it percolate. And if it makes sense for him at that instant, he'll go back to that person and incorporate it. He's a he's a he's a real an incredible learner. So I think he's going to have a, a good, a better chance to make the adjustments to spring training, to timing American pitchers, uh, than any other player of his age. 27 is not an easy age to go over and start facing lots of 100-mile-an-hour fastballs <laughs> for the first time. Right. But I think he'll do that better than anybody. So I, I expect he's probably going to hit... Uh, Again, depending on lots of things, but I, I twenty five home runs his first year isn't really a big surprise to me. Hmm. Well, I, I like I said, I think there's still some nuance to his game. I think it's going to depend on the park and all that stuff. So I'm going to hold back well, off of uh, always going to depend on 20, the park. Yeah, it's twenty five or whatever home runs until I see where he's going. But yeah, that would be nice. And and he's pretty much uh, he hasn't really suffered any big injuries he's had some knickknack injuries and has been out and missed some time but not anything very significant so it'll be interesting we'll keep an eye on that for you all right let's go to fielding questions all right this comes from dimitri via twitter and apologies dimitri this came back on october 24th so we apologize dimitri from us from from queensland from Queensland. Yeah, we apologize for the delay. So he said Teruaki Sato hit a home run uh, on or around this day of October 24th. So he said, if the Tigers end up winning the pennant, I still think they won't, he says parenthetically. Will that three-run home run put Sato back in the discussion for Rookie of the Year, at least in terms of likely choice from the Japan from the Japanese media? Hashtag high heat. So uh, again, this came at the and for Sato of a of a prolonged second half swoon, it was more than a slump. And for me, I always think of you know, the whole aspect of Rookie of the Year not coming down to one bat or all any of these awards that you cover uh, a season long award. You, you just can't win it with one at bat unless you're tied with another player for something and you hit a big home run to put your team uh into the playoffs or over the top or whatever it is if it's if it's some huge moment when things are really close but it really wasn't close at that point uh i thought i believed sato had swung his way out of it and i mean swinging and missing his way out of it uh in terms of rookie of the year and it's too bad because he was the front runner coming into the season he was a front runner in spring training he was the front runner in spring exhibition games he was the front runner uh, going into the All Star break, and then they kicked him off the track. So he was yeah. he was not even running. You know, he was sitting on the infield, licking his wounds. But what did, what did you think about his entire season? Well, he was uh, he he adjusted his way out of. You know, he had a problem with the strikeouts, and he adjusted his way out of the lineup. 
Yeah, he was striking out seven times a game, and he was only getting four at bats. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, and and his adjustments weren't working. I mean, I think yeah. he. Um, I don't know, but I'm you know the the way it works in Japan is when players, high profile players, have questions. There is a line from Tokyo to Yokohama of former players who are there bending his ears to tell him what he should do. And most <laughs> managers say, okay, you're up next. You got five minutes. Oh, wait, we've got 12 coaches on this team who want to tell you what to do. <laughs> you got five minutes. <laughs> and, you know, I uh, speaking of Warren Cromartie, in fact, we've heard this happen a lot. Dennis Serfante talked about this in relation to Carter Stewart Jr., about, you know, the Hawks kind of can't settle on a simple method. They've got to let everybody in to tell them what to do. <laughs> and the same, and uh, Warren Cromartie's job when he was a batting, when he was a batting consultant with the Giants a couple of years ago was basically to take Kazuma Okamoto aside and say, this is, you know, this, these are the things you need to do. Now you can listen to everybody else, but listen to yourself first mm -hmm. and do and focus on these essentials and then take everything else. And if you need it, think about it, but, you know, focus on what you need to do and not what other people tell you you need to do. And then you'll find the answers. And that worked, that apparently worked really well. But there's a, the thing in Japan is um, guys who are out of jobs, guys who are out of coaching jobs, whose only income is coming from uh, occasionally writing columns in sports newspapers and appearing a few nights a week on TV or radio, uh -huh. are very, most of them are very keen to get back into being coaches, and they want to be the guy who fixed somebody's problem. <laughs> and they're... <laughs> Their former teammates are very um, unwilling to say what they want to say, which is get the heck out of my team and stop bothering my players. <laughs> it just works that way. It's like, it's, it's just, it's just a rumor mill of, it's like, I, I don't know what it's like desperate, desperate coaches. <laughs> right, desperate right after desperate housewives sunday at nine yeah exactly <laughs> and it's like they can't keep their they can't keep their advice to themselves and they that's the whole thing so um i think that's probably what happened with with teruaki sato as he was trying to fix it and he kind of ended up in teruaki and batting wonderland <laughs> okay uh with the mad batter <laughs> yes or the bad batter or the bad hatter uh let's put it this way that the japanese media they like sexy numbers easy to see numbers and this tells you all you need to know in terms of what sato did in the second half he had 24 home runs total he had four from August on. He hit three of those four from August on in August. <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, and the strikeouts just piled up uh, along the way. It was, it was, uh, he got better or there were fewer strikeouts in the second half, but part of that was because he was, he had splinters in his butt from sitting on the bench most of the time. So he spent most of his time on the farm team. Yeah. Well, uh, not most, but I, he did spend some of that time on the farm team as well, but he was watching more baseball than he was playing. That's for sure. On the, on the first team. So, it was a tough second half, and and he did not have the numbers. I I didn't think there was any way he was going to hit his way back into the rookie of the year conversation. But look, I still think he's really good, and I I believe when we look at the end of his career in ten, fifteen, or whatever years it is, that he might be the best of the lot. But he just did not have a good rookie season. Uh, doesn't really matter. Uh, he just has to go out and and deal with the issues and then get better. So. Um, hmm. Uh, you know, consistency. That's what they always say. And when we had Joe Gunkel on the show during the season, he talked about the fact that Sato works hard. He's a good kid. He's humble and he's, he's willing to learn. And uh, he's going to have to, he's going to have to learn and, and make those adjustments. And, you know, you go through it and you get better. So hopefully he can uh, turn that around and just be consistent, more consistent next year. And I think he'll be fine. He's going to have a good career. He's, he's too talented. He's too strong. Remember, I, was, <laughs> I saw him with his shirt off on this TV program. And the guy is just one muscle on top of the next. So, all right, we have another question waiting in the wings, but we'll get to that one next week. Thank you so much, Dimitri. And again, thank you for waiting and, and thank you for your patience. We apologize for taking so long to get to the question. Anyone else who has a question, hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag high heat. Send questions via email to yakyujohn at gmail.com or hit us up on the Facebook page. Games three, four, and five at Tokyo Dome of the Japan Series. Then they go to Hotomoto Stadium in Kobe for hopefully what is going to be the end of a great, great Japan series. So we will talk to you next week. Uh, Jim, you got anything going on? Do on not. I got okay. a newsletter going out. Uh, uh, listeners, the newsletter is coming. It's going to be a day late this week. So uh, my apologies. Okay. All right. A day late, but uh, never a yen short, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy your Japan series. See you at the ballparks. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JBW Podcast and at JBallAllen. And feel free to submit your questions by email or tweet with hashtag HighHeat. Thank you for listening to Japan Baseball Weekly.